The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. This morning's text is from Ecclesiastes. We actually will begin in uh, chapter 1, verse 12, and go through all of chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to that. And for throw you a curve for those who are uh, regulars at River of Grace and uh, King's Cross, I'm going to be using the Christian um, Standard Bible. So there you go. Hey, I want you to be happy, and you want to be happy. I mean, I know that's what you want. We were made to be happy. Uh, this past, let's see, what was it, Tuesday morning at about 6.50 in the morning, I get a call from uh, a stone company that the, the dump truck was almost to our house to, to bring us several tons of crushed granite as we're putting in a walkway. I've got a very talented son who's doing that. And so I, I, uh, my head was still in the fog. I hadn't had my coffee. And uh, I get out there to meet the, uh, the dump truck driver. And he was a happy guy. He was, he had, he, clearly, he was in a lot of pain walking. Uh, he had once uh, turned around a campground and made it a, a brand new campground. Then he was a manager for a Coke facility down in Lawrence and then helped build one in Salem. And we got chatting, and he made another delivery after and got chatting and just realized, here's a guy who, who could have retired but wanted to fill up his life doing something besides just sitting at home, and so he's driving a dump truck. You know, this whole idea of finding joy in what we do uh, is something that all human beings long for. Blaise Pascal, the 17th century mathematician and physicist, uh, he, he became a Christian at 31, actually, and, and died at actually 39. But he wrote this about happiness. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they use, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire in both, to be happy. This is the motive of every action of every man even of those who hang themselves. Kind of a morbid thought there, but the whole idea that Pascal was encapsulating in that that comment was that we are people pursuing happiness. But then we struggle with the fact that the things we pursue don't last. So we're looking at Ecclesiastes. The teacher, the writer of Ecclesiastes, helps us keep looking. Where is happiness? We can change jobs, change locations, change boyfriend or girlfriend, change spouse, change education. But in the end, does it bring us lasting happiness? So this search for happiness, this quest, is being a human. Something's missing, but this morning, from Ecclesiastes, I'm convinced your search has ended. If you believe what the teacher says, he unfolds, unpacks for us how we can have lasting happiness. Now, if you're joining with us, uh, we are in this series in Ecclesiastes called Beautiful Things, Finding Joy in the Impermanence of Life. And last week, chapter one was kind of dark. Uh, It was a search for meaning. Uh, We were introduced to this word hevel or mist, which means life is but a a vapor. It's like smoke. It's it's very temporary, very elusive. Everything seems to be short term when you look at the grand scheme of things. And so the teacher in chapter one paints this stark picture of of humanity left searching for lasting meaning and happiness. And he says it's mist, it's vapor, it's hevel. 
Well, this week is kind of a sequel to that. This week, we begin to see what the teacher has learned. And we're going to find that he will, he, he will investigate four areas, and he won't find happiness there. They're not bad areas, but, but in his pursuit of happiness, he looks to find it in areas that do not end up providing lasting meaning. So what I want to do here at the beginning, well, actually for a good chunk of this, is like four ways you won't find happiness, right? Four ways you won't find happiness. Now, none of these are evil in themselves. And in fact, there's much good in them. But if the question is, where will I find lasting happiness? You're not going to find it in these four things. The first one is knowledge. In Ecclesiastes 1, 12 through 18, uh, the teacher writes this. He says, I, the teacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to examine and explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven. God has given people this mis- miserable task to keep them occupied. I have seen all of the things that are done under the sun and have found everything to be futile. A pursuit of the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, see, I have amassed wisdom far beyond all those who are over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has thoroughly grasped wisdom and knowledge. I applied my mind to know wisdom and knowledge, madness and folly. I learned that this, too, is a pursuit of the wind, for with much wisdom is much sorrow. As knowledge increases, grief increases. The teacher spent a ton of time, because he was really smart, pursuing happiness and knowing. He examined the small things, and he explored the large things. And he found that the more he knew, the more sadness was to be discovered, more diseases, more versions of mental illness, more forms of cruelty. Often when I'm talking with uh, friends who don't believe in a God, Uh, Well, I say often. Several times I've had them remind me, if God is good, why did he create, create this parasite which drills into human eyes and creates blindness? Where is the goodness of God in that in creation? Knowledge will lead to despair, and that's what, that's what the uh, teacher discovers here. It leads to increased sorrow and increased grief. Now, knowledge in itself is fine. Uh, we, we, we don't... We don't encourage the lack of knowledge. Education is a gift from God. But if that is where you're looking for lasting happiness, knowledge will come up like wind. It, it, will, it will be like a vapor. It will not satisfy. And so go ahead. Pursue your, your high school diploma, your college degree, your master's, and some of you go after that doctorate. That's all fine and good. But if that is where you're looking for ultimate happiness, you will not be happy. The teacher goes on to the second way you will not find happiness, and that's pleasure. This is chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. You won't find lasting happiness in pleasure. And again, pleasure is not wrong. We came in here to record today and brought in donuts. Donuts are good. I'm going to go home this afternoon, cook bacon. Pleasure is good. But if that's where you're pursuing lasting happiness, let's see what the teacher says about that. I said to myself, go ahead. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy what is good. But it turned out to be futile. I said about laughter, it is madness. And about pleasure, what does this accomplish? 
I explored with my mind the pull of wine on my body, my mind still guiding me with wisdom and how to grasp folly until I could see what is good for people to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I increased my achievements. I built houses, planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself and planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I constructed reservoirs for myself from which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. I acquired male and female servants and had slaves who were born in my house. I also owned livestock, large herds and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers for myself and many concubines, the delights of men. So I became great and surpassed all those, all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasures in all my struggles. This was my reward for all my struggles. And then I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve. I found everything to be futile and a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Wow. Solomon experienced every pleasure that you could imagine. Now, you need to understand that here you've got a, a, a writer of, of a, a biblical book, and he's, he's breaking all, like, moral codes, right? I mean, at one point, um, he's talking about owning slaves so that he could have free labor. He, he talked about having concubines, the, the delights of men. I mean, he, he went all out for pleasure, no bars held. He just went all out. And at the very end, he still said, it was not, it was like wind. Now, God is the God of pleasure. Here's a, here's a verse, Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It was God who created fun and pleasure and delight. It is, it is God who created all these things for our enjoyment. And, and, and pleasure in and of itself as pursued in a moral and legal means, nothing wrong with those things. But if that is what you're looking to make you happy forever, lasting happiness, you will come up short like the teacher did. The pursuit of lasting happiness will fail. He mentions wine there. Not enough to get drunk, actually, just enough to get to that cheery place for the gladness of heart, as it says in Psalm 104. And he got to that place. Uh, I've got one of my brothers is a sommelier. That's a, a, a wine taster, and he works for the, one of the largest wine distributors in Virginia. And he, he is... He's come home with some of the most expensive bottles of wine I've ever tasted. And that's all fine and good. But, but my brother actually gets tired. He takes a day off from wine because it gets tiring to have really good wine. Achievements. Again, nothing wrong with achievements. Whether it's building your own house or learning to rock climb and, and scaling some, some challenging places. There's nothing wrong with that or houses, or gardens, and he or he has orchards and irrigations. Uh, a couple years ago for our 
30th anniversary, Sharon and I went to France and we visited um, Versailles and some of the chateaus of the Loire Valley, and which is a remarkable trip, but it's ironic that the pleasures of these kings get distilled down into a historical uh, place for people to visit and pay $25 to see how people who are now dead tried to be happy. Servants, <laughs> I've often, people said, if I, if I was, if you're wealthy enough, who would be the first person you'd hire? I'd hire a perfect personal chef. That would be my, like, first hire. Well, Solomon, the teacher here, had no problem with that. He was a billionaire. Concubines, the delights of men, it says here. Here's a man who put no bars on his sexual pursuits. And success, notoriety, notoriety. With all of that, with all that he accomplished, all the pleasures he pursued, it says to, he says, it was like nothing. It was like a vapor. And again, we are not saying, the Bible does not say that pleasure is wrong. But if that is your pursuit of happiness, you will not find it. It is not the source of lasting happiness. Knowledge isn't. Pleasure isn't. Then the third one that Solomon, the teacher, brings up is the good life. By that, he's going to compare the wise life to the life of folly or foolishness. The good life. You, you, you know, people in our culture um, often will say, oh, well, I'm a good person. I work hard. I pay my bills. I take care of my kids. I contribute to this. I'm a good person, as opposed to what would be considered a bad person, perhaps the person who, is, who is, uh, can't hold down a job and, 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 and rather than fighting addiction, gives themselves into addiction. And so the good person, the, the wise person, compares himself to the foolish person. And that's what Solomon does now. The wise teacher introduces this idea of pursuing uh, a good life versus a bad life. He also, at this point, he'll introduce this idea of his successor, or those who will inherit his success. Let me read uh, Ecclesiastes 2, 12 through 17. Then I turn to consider wisdom, mad madness, and folly, for what will the king's successor be like? He will do what he has already, what, what has already been done. And I realize that there is an advantage to wisdom over folly, like the advantage of light over darkness. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I also knew that, the, that one fate comes to them both. So I said to myself, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. Why then have I been overly wise? And I said to myself that this is also hevel or futile. For just like the fool, there is no lasting remembrance of the wise. Since in the days to come, both will be forgotten. How is it that the wise person dies like the fool? Therefore, I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me. For everything is futile in a pursuit of the wind. So, so now the teacher is going to say, well, maybe happiness is living the good life, being a wise person in my finances, in my career, and raising my children, being a good husband, being a good neighbor. Maybe that is where happiness is. 
as opposed to the foolish life. And in one sense, he could make an argument and say, well, that's a better life. But what, str- what he struggled with is at the end, both die. And at the end, down the road, 100 years from now, both are forgotten. Wisdom is bringing good order to a chaos, the chaos of life. Nothing wrong with that. It isn't just theory. It's a way to live. That's what wisdom is. But the foolish person who brings no order to their chaos and lives in chaos will still die. And so if your pursuit and my pursuit of happiness is to live the good life, the teacher says to us, yeah, but we're going to die. And people forget the wise person as well as the foolish person. And remember, you also introduced this concept of, and who's going to inherit all my good, wise work? So we come to this point where we're coming to the fourth area of, uh, of the pursuit of, of happiness. And, and the teachers looked into knowledge, pleasure, and the good life. And so far in his pursuit of finding ultimate happiness, they've all come up short. They're all empty. And so then he pours himself back into this thought of his job, his work, his occupation, what he could accomplish. And so the fourth area that he uh, pursues to see if ultimate happiness is there is work. Verses, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 18 through 23. I hated all my work that I labored at under the sun because I must leave it to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will take over all my work that I labored at skillfully under the sun. This too is futile. For I began to give myself over to despair concerning all my work that I had labored at under the sun. When there is a person whose work was done with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and he must give his portion to a person who has not worked for it, This, too, is futile and a great wrong. For what does a person get with all his work and all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? For all his days are filled with grief, and his occupation is sorrowful. Even at night his mind does not rest. This, too, is hevel or mist or futile. So this idea that you can work really hard, be really wise with your money, get really skilled at your profession, your career, your craft. You can build up an estate, and around you, you have children and grandchildren, and, and you end up dying and leaving what you have worked so hard to, to them. That sounds fine, right? But they might just burn through it. They certainly didn't earn it. And while good parents want to leave an inheritance, in fact, the script, the Proverbs uh, and wisdom say a, a good parent leaves an inheritance. There's nothing wrong with that. The emptiness of it is, yeah, but we don't know what they're going to do with it. And then if you build up a business or you have a career in, in uh, public service and, and you have people behind you who will inherit your success, will they act as wise as you? Well, at the end of the day, Solomon isn't putting down work at all. Uh, 
I think this has probably been mentioned, but it's worth mentioning again. Work is a gift from God. Genesis 1 and 2, that vision of work, we were meant to be productive. In the eternal heavens, the new heaven and new earth that, that God's people will inhabit, we will have things to do. We will be productive. We will build things, cook things, eat things, yeah. Uh, we, we will be people who have fingers and muscles and, and minds and creativity. There will be paintings to paint and, and trips to take. I, I can't imagine, and the Scripture says that's okay, we can't envision, but we were meant to work. But then Genesis 3 comes along, and everything we do has been stained by the curse. In fact, Paul would refer back to this concept in Romans chapter 8, verse 20, where he says, all creation was subjected to futility. That word futility in the New Testament is a, 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 uh, a direct pointer back to the futility of Ecclesiastes. This whole creation and all the work that we do um, has, a, has a measure of, of futility or emptiness or wind to it. So this, this doesn't mean on Monday morning you shouldn't, I guess many of you don't go to work, but be at work at your house. That doesn't mean, this is not what the, what what, what the uh, teacher is saying here. But he's saying if you are looking, if I am looking for lasting happiness in our work, it will not satisfy. So we've looked at these four ways you will not find lasting happiness in knowledge, pleasure, the good life, and work. But I want to look at the last three verses as we look at this the big concept here that happiness, the happiness you seek is the happiness God gives. The happiness you seek is the happiness God gives. And we're going to read verses 24 through 26, which is ironically one of the eight passages in Ecclesiastes that focuses on this concept of joy or happiness. Let me read. There is nothing better for a person than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I have seen that even this is from God's hand, because you can eat and, and who, uh, I'm sorry, because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him, apart from God? For to the person who is pleasing in God's sight, he gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and accumulating in order to give to the one who is pleasing in God's sight. This, too, is futile and the pursuit of wind. You see what the the teacher has discovered for us. That our joy is God's pleasure when his pleasure is our joy. In other words, it's a God-centered life. It's a life that sees everything as a gift from God. We trust that God has disclosed himself, his self-disclosure. We can trust. We, we trust his teachings, his ways, and his promises. And this has implications for our daily lives. Only a God-centered life will be happy, where every activity, every achievement, and every pleasure are engaged in as a gift from the Almighty. So whether it's eating an ice cream cone, in that moment, you have the ability to experience increased joy as you realize this is a gift from God. Where we see our work as Genesis 1 and 2 as a blessing while enduring the curse part of our job. 
which means every job that's not uh, immoral or illegal is a noble job. Now, your career might, you might not want to stay as a dishwasher, but if out of high school or in high school, one of your first jobs is washing dishes, that is a noble task. And there is to be an amount of pleasure found in that, the sense of accomplishment, the sense of serving. It doesn't mean that you enjoy it all, and it doesn't mean that's your lasting career, but you can enjoy that as a gift from God. We can have sheer joy in the pleasures of the temporary gifts and discoveries and knowledge and, and the good life that God has given us. And rather than possessions becoming things that we look for for happiness, they become things to celebrate and share. See, as we, as we enjoy God as the giver of all life at every level, by enjoying his gifts, we are responding to him in awe. It's unfortunate in the, in the uh, modern vernacular in Christianity, worship has been narrowed down to songs we sing on Sunday. Now, that is an expression of worship, and we were meant to be singing praises to God, but, but all of life was meant to be one in awe of God. One that, as some translations will uh, use the word fear of God, but it's, it's, it's responding to this, the sense that God, everything is a gift from him. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And so here we introduce this idea that the teacher says everything, whether you eat or drink and enjoy his work, I've seen that even this is from God's hand. And so then our discipline, if we're following Jesus, is to receive everything as a gift from God's hand, whether that's a, a, a sports game we're enjoying, enjoying marital intimacy, sipping on a, your favorite beverage, or going to a museum, all to receive as a gift from God. And the more I am God-centered, the more my heart is filled with joy and happiness. Now, he mentions a sinner in here. And the word here is clearly missing the mark, which means people who have deviated from a God-centered life, not receiving work and pleasure and knowledge and the good life as gifts from God, but as an end in themselves, these people have missed the mark. They, they are sinners. They are missing the mark of what life was meant to be. But the Christian or those who are God-fearing, those who understand God's self-revelation and who he has revealed himself in Christ, the God who has come to serve us and give us a new life through Christ, these people understand that every gift is to be enjoyed. Peter Daniel had introduced to us, we had a study group on this this week, and he talked about that the Christian is hyper-alive. I love that, hyper-alive. Because the Christian life is hyper-aware that everything is a gift from the sovereign God who is very present in every moment and in everything. If you're getting bored with what you can find on Netflix and you've gone through a number of series, let me, let me uh, recommend an older movie, Chariots of Fire, that fits this story. Eric Liddell, a devout Scottish Christian, ran in the 1924 Paris Olympics. And... Uh, he, had, he was quoted uh, when he was confronted. He was out practicing to run, and he missed a prayer meeting, and his sister, uh, Jenny, upbraided him and accused him of not caring for God because he was practicing uh, for the Olympics. And, and this was the quote that came out of that. And he says, he says um, 
And, and by the way, Eric would leave after the Olympics. He would become a missionary in China. Eric tells his sister that though he intends to re eventually re head to China on mission, he felt divinely inspired when running, and that not to run would be to dishonor God. And he said this, I believe that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. He would win the 400 meter. He wouldn't run on the 100 meter because they had it on Sunday. He said, I'm not doing that. They put him in the 400 meter, which he hadn't trained for, and he won the gold. Then he became a missionary and died in China in an internment camp. He felt the pleasure of God even in his running. So disciples of Jesus make every experience, whether it be making coffee or making love, whether it means getting a comfort puppy or snuggling under a comforter, whether growing a garden or laying bricks, your job can be your joy. There, these all become platforms of worship and awe of a generous father because God wants you to be happy. So here are a couple thoughts. I'd like to recommend in your life, one thing to do is give thanks for every meal. It's, become, it's not become the habit anymore. But whether with others or with yourself, because that plate in front of you is a gift from God. It's the most basic gift. Let me also urge you to embrace your job. It may not be where you where should spend the rest of your career, but embrace the good parts of it. Redeem the parts that you can. Let me, a third thing I'd recommend is read books with a view of seeing God's truth in them. In other words, whether you're reading a secular novel or not a secular novel, look for the redemptive story of God's gifts there. It's very possible. Let me, here's a fourth. Live life fully. Embrace all of it. In other words, be hyper alive. Uh, whether it's water skiing this summer or... Hopefully there's some, uh, some, some sporting events we can get to or camping with your family or doing projects around the house. Embrace them as gifts from God. And a fifth thing, when we are able to gather for worship, don't come looking for worship. Come having been worshiping God in all of life. Romans 14, 17 says this, the kingdom of heaven is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. I think Paul, what was saying there is, listen, it, it, our happiness isn't what we eat or drink. It's our, our right standing with God that we see things rightly and we are made right with him. It is joy in that and it is peace in that. Jesus says this in Matthew 16, 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is pushing it a little further. Friends, don't pursue all that, that the, the, the American dream promises you. Pursue all that Christ has promised you, which will mean living with less, giving away more, not being consumed by products and possessions or pleasures, but it will mean I am wrapping my life around the mission of Jesus and I'm going to enjoy every little gift as a gift from him. Here's that big thought. The happiness you seek is found in the happiness God gives. 
The happiness you seek is found in the happiness God gives. So as we sort of wrap this up, let me say to those of you who are yet to embrace Christ, listen, our sin, missing the mark, mars our view of God. It mars our view of knowledge, of pleasure, of the good life, of work. It mars our view of of life. But God has come to us in Christ to restore us to a God-centered life, to give us ultimate joy and pleasure forevermore. Remember, we started, uh, well, uh, mentioned earlier on that there is no condemnation of those in Christ Jesus. That's, that's the removal of the negative. But in his presence is fullness of joy. Ephesians 4.17 says, Now this I testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the emptiness, futility, the wind of their minds. If you're not in Christ, I urge you to consider how will you find happiness. If you're in Christ, let me urge you to pursue that happiness in a God-centered life. Let me pray. Lord, thank you that following you is not less happiness. It's more happiness. It is finding the fact the, 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 that, that you are a, a, a joy-giving God, that all things are gifts for us to enjoy in our response to, to who you are. Lord, I pray that your people would, would increase their pursuit of joy in you. Their happiness, Lord, would, would increase as they, they, they become more God-centered in their thinking and their lives. And Father, for friends who are watching, I pray that you would, you would b- bug them about the emptiness of, of their, their, their present pattern of thinking, that, that no knowledge, no pleasure, no good living, no job is going to give them ultimate happiness. It only comes from the source of all happiness. That's you. May this be the moment they turn to you and call out to you through Christ and receive his forgiveness and life. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.